This is Bloomberg Surveillance. You can't take fiscal policy out of the political process. It is the political process, and essentially it's gridlocked in most countries. The massive flows out of active and into passive have, I think, created more irrational pricing at the stock level than we've seen in some time. This is the end of the oil age in the 21st century. So the 20th century was the age of oil. The 21st will be the age of electricity. Bloomberg Surveillance, your link to the world of economics, finance, and investment on Bloomberg Radio. Good morning, I'm Michael McKee, along with Tom Keene. It is 7 a.m. on Wall Street, 7 p.m. in Tokyo, where overnight, nothing happened. And that is news. The Bank of Japan decides to stand pat, adds no new stimulus, and that is disappointing investors worldwide today. The no monetary fix DTs sending the Nikkei down seven-tenths, a hangover that has continued in the Europe, uh, in, the, in Europe and the U.S. Stock 600. Right now, down by 3.5 percent, uh, 3.5 points rather. That is one percent on the day. Uh, the DAX is off by 50 points. That is half a percent. The euro is down from yesterday, a little bit stronger, uh, a little bit weaker rather. But it is um, at this point uh, a little changed on the day, 110.86. The FTSE is down by 39 points right now, six-tenths of a percent, and the pound's going for 141.57. That's down a full percentage point. The Bank of England does not meet until Thursday. Uh, nothing expected here as the Fed begins its two-day meeting, but equities are off. The S&P evening futures are down 11 points, half a percent, a four-tenths drop for Dow futures. They're down 74 points, and NASDAQ 100 e-mini futures down 18 points, four-tenths of a percent. In the bond market, we have seen some gains for bonds. Yields off a little bit. 1.93 is the yield on the 10-year. The five-year, 1.46, 94 basis points for your two-year. The dollar index at 96.769, a tad stronger, but still in the 96 range for uh, most of the last week. Oil may be a driver. Hard to separate out uh, oil prices from what's going on with uh, the central banks, but West Texas down two and a half percent, thirty six twenty four. Brent crude thirty eight fifty five, two and a half percent as well. Some people saying now we've put in a top for the time being. Uh, we'll have to consider that possibility. Major economic data this morning: retail sales in the U.S. due at eight thirty Wall Street time. Mark Candler is head of forex at Brown Brothers Harriman, and he kicks off our look at the central bank world today. Mark, with all the things I just mentioned, what's the dollar trading on these days? We've had central banks move. We've had central banks stay in one place. uh, And yet we're not seeing the dollar, as represented by the dollar indexes, move a whole heck of a lot either way. Yeah, I think it's kind of quiet. I think people are waiting, really, for the most part, uh, two things. One, of course, is the Federal Reserve tomorrow. And the key issue, I think, is really not so much the risk assessment, but really how many how many dot plots are there? That is to say, in December, they they pointed to four rate hikes this year. Uh, are they going to move it to two or to three? My sense is probably the three, but the market needs to wait to see that tomorrow. And the other thing I think you mentioned is about the uh, possible uh, near-term top in oil prices uh, selling off again today, and that I think is one of the weights on the commodity, so-called commodity currencies, Canada, Aussie, Kiwi. I find sterling interesting. Sterling is down heavy, as you mentioned, down 1%. It's really down the most of the major currencies. And I think it's just some nervousness ahead of, t- ahead of the budget tomorrow. And uh, more talk about Brexit and the possibility that the uh, the UK leaves the EU, and that vote is late June. Can I 
ask a, a, a stupid question? Um, the the dot plots are not a consensus forecast for the Fed. The Fed is does not present them that way, and they're never they never end up being right. They end up being adjusted in terms of what the Fed's going to do. So why do the guys on trading desks pay any attention at all? Yeah, no, good question. I mean, a couple of reasons. One is, is that the closest thing we have, I think, to a transparent sense of where Federal Reserve officials think could be an appropriate level for Fed funds. What strikes me, uh, Mike, is that the uh, market is often critical of, of Yellen and the Federal Reserve for being dovish, but yet the Fed's dot plots point to a more hawkish Federal Reserve than the market. It's just, I think, a way to see where the market is relative to monetary officials. And I do think that the market pays attention to it, perhaps more attention than the Federal Reserve would like. What I've suggested is to avoid some of this, is if the Fed would have drop this dot plot completely since it maybe adds more confusion than it might be worth. I had suggested the Federal Reserve think about having a federal a press conference after every meeting the way the ECB and the Bank of Japan do, and that way that would help avoid this kind of gaming of which meetings and which meetings the Federal Reserve could move in and would help diminish this uh, the confusion by the dot plots. I think, Tom, uh, I, I would like to have a dot plot for how long the dot plot lasts. Yeah, well, they, everybody says which, which shows how silly it is, and really this goes back to the study of communication in central banks, which goes back to Timberlake and Bernanke and other academics over uh, the years. Mark, the same old, same old as these institutions by definition are reactive, aren't they? I suppose. I think that, I mean, I, I still would give the Federal Reserve uh, credit for raising rates last year, and despite the market thinking that the Federal Reserve made a mistake, many people in the market thinking the Fed made a mistake, I think the fact that the Federal Reserve is going to continue to press ahead with its normalization of monetary policy is important. My sense is that almost everything the Federal Reserve had expected in December has panned out. Inflation, core measures of inflation are creeping higher. I think that the core uh, PCE, 1.7%. Uh, unemployment continued to fall, which means that the slack in the labor market continued to be absorbed. We did have a weakness in Q4 last year, 1% growth, kind of dismal at an annualized pace. But here in Q2, excuse me, here in Q1, the economy looks like it's returning to a trend growth around 2%. What is the ramifications of dollar strength? When someone says to you without your expertise in the markets, oh, the dollar is going to go up 2% or a big move, 10% or whatever. How do you digest that? Well, mostly people think, but I think what people mean, I think they mean by saying that is that probably hurts the uh, hurts exports and is a reason for the Federal Reserve not, not to tighten policy. Uh, my sense is that, the, you know, we talked about this before, that the way U.S. companies service foreign demand is not really by exporting. The U.S. will only export about 15% of GDP. U.S. companies building locally, selling locally, is really the way, the primary way U.S. companies service foreign demand. And if anything, in the past six weeks or so, the dollar on a trade-weighted basis has pulled back, and this might give the Federal Reserve more scope to raise rates. My sense is that the Federal Reserve ought to raise rates uh, tomorrow, but in, uh, when faced with uh, doubts, the Fed errs on the side of caution, like they did for the tapering, like they did for the first rate hike, so too with the second hike. Mark Chandler with us. Brown Brothers, Harriman. Bloomberg Surveillance this morning brought to you by Invesco. Invesco believes it's time to say goodbye to their traditional 60-40 stock bond allocation. Say hello to alternatives as a core part of modern portfolios. Learn more at Invesco.com slash alt. Invesco, 
dot com slash alts a l t s alts michael uh, Mark, uh, we've got the, the retail sales report out today. How much uh, weight should we put on that? I mean, obviously, it's a trading event between 8.30 and 8.35, but um, is it going to tell us much about what the Fed is going to do? I don't think so, Mike. I mean, we do have the retail sales uh, this morning. The headline is going to be likely to be depressed by the drop in gasoline prices. We also know auto sales sequentially were flat. But the key, the key to watch would really be the, what, what, uh, what Bloomberg calls the control group, which is basically the component of retail sales that's used for GDP calculations, and that would exclude autos, gasoline, building materials, and that's likely to be up around 0.2%, which after 0.6 in January still tells us that the U.S. consumer is off to a good start for the Q1. And remember, with fueling consumption now, it's not, unlike past cycle, it's not credit cards, revolving Debt is is flattish. Uh, what's really what's really fueling consumption is a couple of things. One is more people are working; they're getting paid a little bit more per hour. And I'd say that the, the drop in gasoline prices increases the disposable income, for, so less money leaving the country in imported oil, more money staying in the country buying uh, buying food. Apparently, if we get that kind of uh, number, what does it tell us about? what the economy is going to do um, going forward? Well, that's a good question, I mean, because we know that consumption is a big part of the economy. Consumption seems to be going, growing around 3%, which is what it did last year, which is the strongest for, in about a decade. Uh, so I, I think that the, the Federal Reserve, I think, can feel comfortable that as long as the consumer sector remains firm, uh, that the economy can do okay. Uh, that it's the uh, capital uh, expenditures, that business investment still seems uh, fairly slow. Uh, government spending might be a drag, but it's really the consumer that's the backbone, and that's really a, a function of job creation. Excuse me, I have the red button. The red I'm button. so dazzled by three central bank meetings back-to-back, back, I can't even find the red button. Uh, we're by the red phone waiting to see what the Fed will do tomorrow. We'll do that. Mark Chandler uh, with us with Brown Brothers Harriman. Thank you so much, uh, Mr. Chandler. Uh, this morning, a special program note tomorrow afternoon. Mike McKee and I will squeeze a 20-hour day out of, what, a nine-hour day? Something like that. It'll be fun. 1 p.m. tomorrow. Scarlett Fu, Michael McKee, and myself on Bloomberg Radio, Bloomberg Television, with special coverage of the Fed meeting. Futures negative 11, Dow futures negative 75 this morning. Time now to check in with Michael Barr and get the latest world and national headlines. Michael. Mike, Tom, thank you very much. Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton are hoping for a big day as five states hold primaries today. Trump could have more than 50% of the Republican delegates if he runs the table today. Florida's Marco Rubio and Ohio's John Kasich are looking to win their home states. For the Democrats, Hillary Clinton has a big chance to pad her lead over rival Bernie Sanders. North Korean leader Kim Jong-un has vowed to conduct another nuclear test in a short time. North Korea's official news agency says Kim made the vow after he watched the simulation of a rocket with a warhead re-enter the atmosphere. A senior Iraqi intelligence official says top Islamic State group leader Omar al-Shishani has died outside the Islamic State stronghold of Raqqa in Syria. Dallas Seavey has won his fourth Iditarod sled dog race. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists and more than 150 news bureaus from around the world. I'm Michael Barr. Mike, Tom? Michael Barr, thanks so much. Again, futures negative 11, risk-off feel across all assets. Oil 
Down 95 cents, 36.23. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. Bloomberg Surveillance brought to you by Flushing Bank. Open a complete business checking account with $15,000 or more and get a free 16-gig Wi-Fi tablet. Visit FlushingBank.com for details. Remember, FDIC, equal housing lender. Global business news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. This update's brought to you by Eisner Amper. When entrepreneurs face challenges like choosing a business structure or access to capital, they call the accountants and advisors at Eisner Amper. Connect with them, EisnerAmper.com slash tech. And U.S. stock index futures are moving lower this morning with S&P E-mini futures down 11 points, Dow E-mini futures down 76, and NASDAQ E-mini futures down 17. The DAX in Germany is down half percent. Ten-year Treasury up 7.30 seconds. The yield 1.93 percent. NYMEX crude oil down 2.5 percent or 93 cents to 36.25 a barrel. COMEX gold is down 8 tenths percent or $10.20 to 12.34.90 an ounce. The euro, $1.1093, the yen, 113.08. And Jeffries Group's trading revenue tumbling 82% in the fiscal first quarter, leading to the firm's first loss for the period since 2008. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Karen Musco, thank you very much. Well, the uh, president has made a decision about offshore drilling off the Atlantic coast that was due out today. And the question was, would he allow uh, additional drilling leases off the coast of Virginia? He says no. He is going to bar Atlantic Coast oil drilling. That's a reversal of earlier policies. However, Tom, it's not clear exactly what impact that will have, given that we have more oil than we want right now anyway. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's a debate, and it's out there. I guess it's an active president, very high in the ratings and as well. It's always good to have E.J. Dion uh, with us, of course, always writing up in the Washington Post. Uh, but he has trotted out a new book, which he has perfectly timed the collapse of the Republican Party, Why the Right Went Wrong, uh, E.J. Dion on conservatism, and uh, really a most interesting historical view of the path of the right, always through the prism of Mr. Dion. E.J., um, I, I love the phrase Goldwater-ism, which so much gets to the morphing of AUH2O into where we are as we go to Florida and Ohio uh, this evening. Define for us modern-day Goldwaterism. I love that phrase. Well, Goldwater, um, we remember him as a person, and he was a very warm, agreeable uh, person. He was, you know, candid and principled. So none of this is about Goldwater the guy. And later in life, he actually became more moderate himself. But yeah. if you go back to the original Goldwater campaign in 1964 and the promises he made, um, these were all basically Tea Party sort of promises. We'll roll back government on every front. Uh, you know, he said, I don't uh, mean to reform government because I intend to cut it. Uh, and that's where a large part of the Republican Party has moved. Um, I have to say, if I, I thank you so much for what you said about the book. Um, I was very gratified by a review I just got from National Review, which is a conservative magazine, disagrees with the book, disagrees with me, and yet it argued the review by a, guy called, a scholar called Henry Olson 
argued that conservatives do have to come to terms with my argument that if they carry Goldwaterism on indefinitely, yeah. uh, they will have a real problem because Goldwaterism doesn't speak. It was an ideology right. that came out of 1964. It doesn't speak to what the party needs to do now. In your ute, you used to be with Al Hunt in the smoke-filled rooms at these conventions. Can you fathom what Cleveland will be this summer, smoke-filled or not? Right. There'll be smoke-free, smoke-filled rooms. How do you, how do you get your head around that? Um, it, it, it's, it's almost impossible to fathom. We haven't had uh, anything like this really since the 50s and in some ways since uh, earlier uh, than that. Because, And it tells you something about the nature of the Trump candidacy. Normally, a candidate who built this kind of lead would be embraced by his party, and the people, leaders of the party would say, all right, let's get out of the way. This guy has secured the nomination. Let's end this thing. Uh, instead, quite the opposite is happening, and uh, large parts of the party are saying, no, let's keep this thing going to keep him from getting uh, the delegates. I think the Republicans, if, if things turn out the way they well look to turn out now, which is Trump ends up with a plurality but not a majority of uh, delegates. Um, the party faces bad choices either way. They don't put Trump on the ticket. In, uh, you know, they don't nominate Trump, uh, in which case you've got a mass rebellion of all the people uh, who voted for him. I just somehow can't see Trump accepting that lightly. Maybe he'll be gentle about it, but I don't think so. Um, or on the other side, um, uh, they do nominate Trump and face substantial losses because he's clearly running well behind Hillary Clinton. He's got a huge disadvantage among women uh, voters. Uh, so it's going to be very tough on the party. Is it over for the Republicans? Um, you know, I, predicting the death of a major political party is always problematic. The Republicans split down the middle in 1912 and actually... William Howard Taffrey and third, Teddy Roosevelt, the dissenting Republican, ran second, running as a progressive. Uh, they recouped after losing to Roosevelt in 36, Goldwater in 64 lost. Uh, so I don't know if it's over. I think that the Republican Party as it, it now exists may be over. Uh, I don't know if you replace the Republican Party. I think it's more likely that they go through a, a period of turmoil and become something a little different. Ron Fournier of uh, the Atlantic Group, uh, you know Ron, um, old friend of mine, he has an interesting piece in the Atlantic today suggesting that what this campaign has done has defined deviancy down, to use the old Moynihan phrase, in such a way that uh, politics may not recover for a very long time. Um. Again, I'm, I'm, um, sometimes you have to hit bottom to come up. And so um, I, I think that what we're going to have trouble recovering from is not this campaign, although I agree with Ron that uh, particularly on the Republican side, particularly after uh, that debate in which we were talking about the size of body parts. I mean, if you had told me, I think I said this before, that uh, you know a group of presidential candidates were talking the way they were talking, I would have told you it's propaganda by enemies of the United States. Um, but I, I think the real question is, can we govern ourselves after this election? Um, and, you know, one of the problems, one of the reasons there is all this discontent um, is because uh, the Republicans just haven't been able to, or willing to work with President Obama on anything. We've well, had this deep divide. 
And I don't know if we're going to, this election right. uh, will heal that at all. Well, let's come back. E.J. Dionne with us, the book, Why the Right Went Wrong, Conservatism, from Barry Goldwater to the Tea Party. And E.J. Dionne has a, the, the courage to go beyond why the right went wrong. We'll come back with Mr. Dionne and try to look beyond the first Tuesday of November. From New York, this is Bloomberg Surveillance. Bloomberg Surveillance is brought to you by the all-new BMW of Springfield. Find amazing pricing on every certified pre-owned BMW. Visit BMWofSpringfieldNewJersey.com. Financing and leasing available by BMW Financial Services. Broadcasting live to New York, Bloomberg 1130, to Washington, D.C., Bloomberg 991, to Boston, Bloomberg 1200, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Radio Plus app and Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. Morning at 730 on Wall Street. I'm Michael McKee, along with Tom Keene. We are being buffeted by the winds of central banks, but... Uh, there are some company stories out there that you'll want to pay attention to as you begin your investing day. Valiant, giving a new sales and profit forecast for 2016, lower than the drug maker had predicted in December. Sales 11 to 12, uh, 11 to 11.2 billion, down from 12.5 to 12.7. Earnings will be $9.50 to $10.50, down from 13.25 to 13.75. David Campari Milano, the Italian distiller, is going to buy French cognac maker Grand Marnier Group. Uh, $760 million is the valuation for the company. And Sony paying $750 million to the estate of Michael Jackson for the late pop star's stake in their joint music business. He gets control of a, uh, it gets control of a catalog that includes the artist Sting and Alicia Keys. And now let's check in with the artist Michael Barr for the latest world of national headlines. Michael. Thank you very much, Mike. It is primary day in five states. Democrat Hillary Clinton is hoping to stretch her lead over rival Bernie Sanders. Donald Trump is hoping for a big day, especially in delegate-rich Ohio and Florida, to pad his lead. Meanwhile, an attack ad against Donald Trump hit national cable television this week, showing women reading quotes by Trump that many women might find offensive. Calling in ABC's Good Morning America, Trump was asked this morning if he's seen the ad. I have seen it, and it was uh, Romney deal, you know, who ran one of the worst races in the history of presidential politics. He should have easily beaten a failed President Obama. And, uh, you know, they're just, it's a lot of sour grapes. Former Alaska Governor Sarah Palin was campaigning for Trump yesterday in Florida, but had to return home after her husband was injured in a snowmobile accident. President Obama predicts the Cuban embargo will be lifted by his successor. President Obama spoke to CNN just days before his historic visit to Cuba. Dallas CV won the 1,000-mile Iditarod sled dog race. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists and more than 150 news bureaus from around the world. I'm Michael Barr. Mike? Thank you, Michael. Time now for the Ray Katina Auto Group Bloomberg NBC Sports Update with Rob Bushman. Thank you, Mike, and good morning. You have just a few hours left to get your brackets in as the NCAA and NIT tournaments get underway today. And good luck to Fairleigh Dickinson as the Knights got hot at the right time. They're 18 and 14. They take on Florida Gulf Coast. 640 is tip-off from Dayton as part of the East Region. That game to be followed by Vanderbilt and Wichita State, a pair of 11 seeds scheduled for a 9-10 tip-off. On the ice, things are heating up with the Islanders. Steal by Clutterbuck. He scores! A backhander by Clutterbuck. With a minute and 39 seconds remaining in the third period, have taken 
been a 3-2 lead, and if they win this one, they'll have pulled off a Houdini act. MSG with the call as the Islanders down 2-0, entering the third, scored three times in five minutes and 41 seconds. And you couple that with Thomas Grice, who had 23 saves, Islanders beat the Panthers to pull ahead or to pull within a point of the Rangers for second in the Metro Division. And to baseball, Tigers get a three-run homer from J.D. Martinez to beat the Mets 9-2. But the real story, David Wright, good to see him back in action. He went one for five in an intra-squad scrimmage game. That's your NBC Sports Radio and Bloomberg update. Mike? Thank you very much, Rob Butchka. If you do have your brackets filled out, um, you got to, of course, wait and see what happens with the play-in games. First one this afternoon, Fairleigh Dickinson against Florida Gulf Coast. That's at uh, 340 this afternoon. This is Bloomberg Radio. And this is Bloomberg Surveillance. I'm Michael McKee, along with... Tom Keen on a day when uh, we see some disappointment in the markets over perhaps the Japanese central bank doing nothing or perhaps the anticipation of the Fed doing nothing. S&P futures down 11 points right now, six tenths. Dow futures are off by four tenths, uh, 74 points on that index. It is uh, time now for the Bloomberg NJIT STEM report, brought to you by New Jersey Institute of Technology, partnering with government and industry to apply the university's world-class research assets to innovate and spur economic growth. Learn more at njit.edu. Here is Bob Moon. Michael, good morning. Coming up on 735 on Wall Street, and here's what's making news in science, technology, engineering, and math. Would you buy a self-driving car from this man? The Google executive in charge of the company's autonomous auto project is aiming to sell the concept to lawmakers on Capitol Hill today. Chris Ermson's prepared testimony points to the benefits of less spending for roads, parking garages, and public transportation systems. He urges Congress to seize a huge opportunity to further the technology by enabling the Department of Transportation to get behind deployment of self-driving cars. Representatives of General Motors, Delphi Automotive, and the ride booking service Lyft also scheduled to testify. An ex-Twitter engineer who sued over alleged gender bias probably won't get to expand her case to challenge a contract provision barring departing employees from recruiting their colleagues. That would let Twitter and other Silicon Valley companies dodge a bullet that could force an end to the hiring practice. And what's causing warming of the planet? The answer may be frozen in time, and scientists are drilling down deep to find it sealed in an ice core that allows them to see changes in the atmosphere over time. They'll need to drill to find ice that's one and a half million years old, about the time the interval between ice ages grew to about 100,000 years. The composition might offer clues to what causes Earth's climate cycles. And that's the Bloomberg NJIT STEM report. Mike, if you want to know how far they need to go for one and a half million year old ice, think of a core sample that's something like a two-mile-long popsicle when it's laid from end to end. <laughs> I know some kids that would like that. <laughs> uh, Cherry-flavored, if if you please. You Bob Moon, thank you very much. We're talking with E.J. Dion, uh, of course, uh, the longtime American political journalist and commentator, longtime op-ed columnist for The Washington Post. He's a senior fellow in governance studies at the Brookings Institution. He's also a prolific author, and I want to talk to you about uh, some of your books. Obviously, uh, where Why the Right Went Wrong is your latest book, Tom was uh, talking uh, about that uh, just a few moments ago. I want to go back to some of some of your back catalogs, see if we can sell some of those. I'm, I'm all for that, although I can't get that two-mile-long popsicle out of my head. <laughs> I know. You, you, you got kids who would like that, too, I'm sure. Uh, uh, 1991, Why Americans Hate Politics. Um, 
that was a long time ago. What would you what would you update it uh, with today? What would you say if you were writing that today? Well, you know, this part of the the core argument that I made there is something I still believe and I still think is true for a lot of Americans, which is um, that uh, politics often presents itself as a series of false choices uh, that people uh, don't accept as real choices. For you know, one of the things I wrote about back then is. Uh, at the time, we were talking a lot about what well, you're either a feminist or you're pro-family. Well, we know 25 years later that uh, most people still care a lot about the family, but they also believe that uh, men and women are equal. The, another one was a false choice between you know, your pro-environment or your for economic growth. Well, we've shown over a long period of time that we could have economic growth and protect the environment at the same time. So I think the argument about uh, false choices, I, would, I still think, is very much is very relevant to our politics now. Um, I think back then I did not anticipate that conservatives would move as resolutely uh, to the right as they have uh, now. I re- that book was written during the presidency of George H.W. Uh, Bush, the first uh, President Bush, who obviously presented a very different profile than we're seeing today, particularly uh, from Donald Trump. And in this campaign, we saw that, uh, at least for now, there are some more Bushes coming up. But the uh, Bush option is not an option that Americans uh, wanted to take this time. Another, another book you wrote, 1996, uh, They Only Look Dead, Why Progressives Will Dominate the Next Political Era. Uh, maybe a little early. But we're there now. Uh, do they continue to dominate? You know, we're looking at uh, Sanders and, and Clinton argue over who's more progressive. But four years from now, are we going to be hearing the same? Well, in that book, my point was that uh, in a period of great uh, economic change, which we were beginning to go through then, the, the rise of the tech era, uh, Americans tend to look to government to take some steps to make things fairer, that a lot of people are dislocated in periods of economic change. Um, you know, we went from farm to factory, from small town to the big city, a hundred or so, uh, over a hundred years ago now. And we were moving, starting in the 90s, from an industrial economy to a tech economy. And I think you're seeing in the revolts of voters supporting Bernie Sanders, who's clearly explicitly pro-government, but also Trump, who's got this very mixed, complicated ideology with a dose of authoritarianism in it, um, you're seeing the same frustrations with our failure to manage this economic transition. I think that so much of the turmoil is so many people are being hurt Mm -hmm. in this economic transition, and they're not getting much help uh, getting through it. Too much to talk about. E.J. Dion with us. Uh, with the Washington Post, this new book, Why the Right Went Wrong, Conservatism from Goldwater, the Tea Party, uh, and beyond, with an important perspective on AUH2O. Yeah, we'll definitely continue uh, our conversation with EJ throughout the political year. Yeah, it is um, a most interesting thing. And, of course, what we're trying to do, folks, is less the horse race and much more driving forward to the dialogue. Which oh, I to thought me, you were going to say some part of the horse. No, no, <laughs> no, uh, which, which seems to me to be, yeah, there's more after Florida and Ohio. Uh, but the, the 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 conventions beckon, to say the least. <coughs> futures negative ten, Dow futures negative sixty seven. Bloomberg surveillance. Bloomberg Surveillance is brought to you by SCNB. The bank for business is on the move. Are you looking for the right banking partner? Go to scnb.com to learn more. Now open in Long Island City. Get your business moving with SCNB.
intervals of clouds and sunshine on Thursday. With the best right in and out of the city, I'm Chanel Crispin, Bloomberg 1130. Bloomberg Surveillance Now. Global Business News, 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. This update is brought to you by Sector Spider ETFs. Buy by a single stock when you can invest in the entire sector. Visit SectorSPDRS.com or call 1-866-SECTOR-ETF. U.S. stock index futures are lower this morning with S&P E-mini futures down 10.5 points. Dow E-mini futures down 72 and NASDAQ E-mini futures down 14. This is investors consider the capacity of central banks to boost global growth. We do check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. DAX in Germany is down six tenths percent. The FT100 down seven tenths percent, and the CAC in Paris down nine tenths percent. Ten-year Treasury is up six thirty seconds. The yield one point nine three percent. Yield on the two-year point nine four percent. NYMEX crude oil is down two point three percent, or eighty-seven cents, to thirty-six thirty-one a barrel. COMEX gold down seven tenths percent, or eight dollars seventy cents, to twelve thirty-six forty an ounce. The euro is at a dollar ten ninety-four. The yen at one thirteen even. Valiant Farm. Pharmaceuticals International down about 17% in early trading after lowering its sales and profit forecast for 2016. Freeport McMoran down 14.5% this morning as commodity prices declined for a second day. And Jeffrey's Group reporting a fiscal first quarter loss as trading stocks and bonds tumbled 82%. And I'm sorry, Freeport McMoran rather down 4.5%. This says commodity prices declined for a second day. So 4.5% decline for Freeport McMoran. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Karen Moscow, thank you very much. Tom, depressing uh, tweet here out of Russia. Uh, someone in Russian quoting Vladimir Putin this morning, the people approve of repressive measures, even the interior ministry, if they are in the public interest. Wasn't that said this weekend and, and somewhere you, in American you, politics? You, yeah, you would. Uh, <clears throat> we would have laughed about that at some point and made fun of them, but uh, no longer. Chuck Todd is the host of NBC's Meet the Press, uh, also the political director for NBC News and uh, star of uh, Bloomberg Radio, because you can hear Meet the Press every Sunday, 12 and 3 here. Uh, 11 and 3, rather, here on uh, Bloomberg Radio. Uh, good morning, Chuck. Uh, it's uh, kind of weird that um, something like that could be said in Russia and it could equally almost apply to a political candidate here in the United States. You know, it's very interesting what's going on. David Brooks uh, actually uh, two shows ago noted this as well, which is, you know, when we're as a society, there's always a portion in a democratic society when they're frustrated with the mechanics of government, right, when they're frustrated that things don't get done, where they sit there and say, well, uh, I'd like a more... Um, you know, they don't want to say they want an autocrat, but essentially they want a strongman, right? A strongman, you know, you know, one they trust, but there is this idea of looking for strength. So, look, he is appealing to this portion of the electorate that would, would want an efficient manager. Um, and, you know, I think there is that fine line is from strong leader to strong man, <laughs> right. you know. It does it's within degrees, that's for sure. Chuck, we've got to back up here and for our global audience make clear that Mr. Todd uh, 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 basically invented granularity in political analysis <laughs> as a ute and that he has been a pinata for Mr. Trump long before Mr. Trump 
decided to run for office, Mr. Trump yeah. taking after you out on Twitter. I think you've got a more interesting take on this than arguably anybody in the media. And the simple answer is if he moves to the middle, is any candidate must, do the people that support him and taking shots at Chuck Todd, among other things, do they move with him? I, I can't get there. Well, I think his people move with him. What I don't know is how does he grow? Look, his people are his people. Okay, I think we have let's let's you know twenty two contests now. Uh, how many times do we go? Oh boy, this one could hurt him. This one could. Nothing peels support away from him. Now the question is, does he add to it? Can he add on support? Um, and in 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 the primaries, and that's where we haven't seen any evidence that he can add on support. And so as the field narrows, he seems to be getting, depending on the state, potentially vulnerable. So we'll find out tonight. But I think that's the that to me is still an open question. Everything he does reinforces his support, including the idea of saying, "Yeah, I'll look into paying the legal fees," or "You know, I want to punch these protests." His people love it, but it's not a way to grow support. And if he doesn't grow support, and he's short of the delegates at the convention, I think the party's going to feel as if a majority of the Republican Party is saying, "Stop him." And if that's what the message is by the convention. He's not going to find the 50 delegates he may need if he's 50 short, for instance, to get that nomination. Uh, Ron Fournier in The Atlantic uh, today, and E.J. Dion was uh, agreeing with the sentiment, uh, suggesting that the ultimate problem we're going to have is that because um, Trump is so divisive, and has lied so much, and because Hillary Clinton is so uh, untrusted by people that you know, even yeah. you, you get past the campaign, you're going to have trouble governing, no matter. Who I think it's like. ungovernable. It's funny you said. I completely agree with Ron, and he and I talk about this a lot. It doesn't matter what happens. First of all, you're going to have half the country that's going to think the election wasn't legitimate, particularly if Trump loses. I think his people are going to say it was somehow taken away from him. Um, it doesn't matter. If, you know, there, there's going to be a legitimacy issue. I think the second is there's going to be whoever becomes president, whether it's Trump or Clinton, let's say that's what happens, that they're the general election. Whoever wins is going to be already have a negative approval rating. That's no way to govern. There's no honeymoon there. There's no way of sort of turning a page or something about a presidential election that usually we all want to sort of take a breath and, and give the new guy a new guy or gal a chance. Um, under this scenario, there wouldn't be. It'll be so destructive. So I don't, I don't know where this goes. Um, I'm pretty pessimistic. I do think this right. is eight all over again. Please, Nixon, Nixon and Humphrey. I don't think it would have mattered. Both. I think Humphrey would have had a failed presidency too. You know, I mean, it's yeah. a struggle in either way. That's the mood the country's in. Chuck, I looked up Cleveland conventions, and it took me back to Calvin Coolidge, 24, and Elfland, and. 36. I mean, the Republican Party's allowed to morph as Democratic Party does it any. But when you sit around NBC with uh, Ms. Mitchell and uh, with the, uh, Mr. Williams and the others at MSNBC and M NBC, what is the framework of your discussion that the establishment is going to reach out to Mr. Trump? I haven't observed that yet. I think he did a lot of damage to himself this weekend. You know, look, every... All these, you know, the establishment's not looking for much from Trump, but they're looking for a little bit of effort, a little bit of yeah. toning it down, a little bit of presidential uh, acting. And he'll do it for about um, 30 minutes, you know. He'll do it tonight, right? He's done it this morning on the shows already, the morning shows that he's called into. He'll come across reserving comment, and then by tomorrow or the next day, he'll say something outrageous, 
say something outlandish, and then we go through this, we go through the motions all over again. So I think the establishment, you know, especially if if he loses Ohio tonight, will feel like they shouldn't stop trying to stop him. Um, they'll throw in the towel if he wins Ohio, because um, he's probably going to win Florida too. But if he doesn't, I think it only is going to make the establishment yeah. feel as if, you know what, they have they have a majority of the party behind them to stop him. That's that's going to be the mindset tonight, and that is some that is something that Trump needs to needs to do. He still needs to win over a majority of the party at some point. He's not there yet. Um, Super Tuesday, uh, Super Tuesday two, uh, as we could call this, is is important, of course, but uh, even more important uh, to most Americans, the uh, NCAA tournament gets underway. Your, yes, your, it does. Your George Washington Colonials left out. Uh, they'll play tomorrow in the NIT, but uh, I know you also have a rooting interest in how the University of Miami does. They, yeah, I was just going to say, I really thought at the beginning of the year I was going to get both of them turning. Uh, I still could make a case that GW should have been in. They beat the Big East champ, Stephen Hall. They beat UVA, a number one seed. So I'm just saying, you know, GW is one of those bubble teams that deserve a little better treatment. That well, said, they, that they, said, my Hurricanes, I'll tell you this, they got they got a really tough draw. I think the toughest bracket in the region is that South Bracket. Yeah. Kansas, Villanova, Miami, do you know at one point all three of them were considered one seeds in the last two weeks? Miami, had they won the last two games in the ACC tournament, beating UVA and then beating UNC, they'd have been a one seed. So that's a tough right. region, man. Chuck, I just finished my bracket. Francine Lacroix over in London helped me out. Um, we went with the blue uniforms. So we've got <laughs> no, North Carolina and Kansas in the, you know. There it is. Final. Boy, the Roy Williams, the Roy Williams final, huh? Yeah. Who, who have you got in your, your bracket yeah, there, no, Chuck? We, no, we I need some good advice. Overhead. I went hard overhead. I went ahead with a Miami-North Carolina final. Um, Even I know that's absurd. Realistically, I think Miami gets to the eight and loses. I think the seniors matter, and that will get them to the eight. I think Larenega is a great coach, but I think they lose to Kansas. But but my heart, I'm going ahead and pick because I'll be – it's more fun to at least root for your team all the way, right? I I Um, recommend you bring up this line of conversation with Mr. Trump the next time you speak with him. I think UNC, I have UNC. (laughs) Realistically, the, in the in the non-biased bracket, UNC beating Kansas as well. Chuck Todd, thank you so much. Opinion right, for Mr. Trump. He is with NBC and uh, doing work with MSNBC. So, Mike, it's hilarious to go back and look at the tweets from Mr. Trump and yeah. Mr. Todd. Well, it's it is just... and it isn't. I mean, it's very it's very sad that um, that we have gotten to the point. And I recommend everybody go to Atlantic.com, look up Ron Fournier's yeah. article. Uh, yeah. It's uh, it, yeah. it is very. Uh, it's called Circling the Drain with Trump, and it is, it's very uh, great dissection of what we have done to ourselves. It's, it's yeah. not just Trump, but it's uh, us. Our full discussion with this tonight, with all due respect, I'm Mark Halperin and John Heilman, with perspective on this Tuesday in Florida and Ohio. Another hour of Bloomberg Surveillance.